Welcome. My name is Jesse and you are listening to The Wake Up Call. This show is about opening your eyes to how you've been living, bringing awareness to the standard you've been operating at, and helping you start living to your full potential. There are two ways I'll help you do this. One, by disciplining your mind, and two, by strengthening your body. It's time to take stock of your current performance and go to the next level. Let's do this. G'day guys, welcome back to another episode of The Wake Up Call. If this is your very first time listening, welcome. My name is Jesse, I am your host, and I am here today to talk to you about using energy expensive exercises. Now, that is a very long way to say you need to do the hard exercises. In the gym, when you go and do your workouts, you need to steer clear of the easy and the comfortable exercises, and you have to put yourself in that uncomfortable situation, that environment where you actually put yourself through the movements and exercises that demand the most of you. Employing energy expensive exercises are super important if you have fat loss goals or you want to build strength. They have a lot of overlapping principles and themes. They both require you to expend a high amount of energy. Fat loss requires that you get yourself into a calorie deficit. This means that you burn or you spend more calories than you consume on a day-to-day basis. This is an irrefutable fact. If you want to lose body fat, you can't overfill the bucket. If your bucket, so your calorie target for the day is 1,500 and you have 1,600 calories, You have overfilled the bucket, and this spillage ends up causing fat gain. If you want fat loss, you have to make sure that the bucket doesn't get full. So if your calorie target for the day is 1,500, and you consume 1,450, 1,400, 1,350, or even fewer than that, you can can rest assured that if you do that consistently, you're going to lose body fat. Does that make sense? Okay, you don't spend more then your target for the day. That's really what fat loss comes down to. Now, building strength, it also requires that you progressively overload your body, the muscles, and you increase the demands placed upon the nervous system. This is a piece that doesn't get talked about a lot, and I'm trying to embed this more and more into the podcast so you guys can start to grasp this concept that I'm talking about. There's a huge difference between the strength of bodybuilders and the strength of powerlifters. And yes, there's a huge part that nutrition and supplementation and perhaps PEDs um, play. So, you know, steroids and all of that. I'm not going to go into that topic today. But one of the things you have to look at is how differently they train. The bodybuilder's goal is to get as big and as muscular and as ripped slash defined as possible. They want you to see every single fucking muscle fiber. They want to see the striations. They want to see the vascularity, the veins popping, and basically be able to dissect, okay, that's where the deltoid, that's where the anterior deltoid finishes. You can clearly see the medial deltoid. You can see the posterior. So you can see the three parts of the shoulder, and you can see the same thing for the quads. There's the vastus medialis. There's the vastus inter... You get where I'm going here. You should be able to see complete separation of each muscle fiber. That's their goal, to get big, to get fucking jacked, 
and to be lean, cut, ripped, okay? The powerlifter isn't concerned with that at all. The person who wants to build the most amount of strength couldn't give a fuck about necessarily feeling the pump, okay? They're not chasing that. They're chasing strength. They're chasing, I want to lift heavier weights. I want to be able to move this load from A to B more efficiently. Their goal is being effective in shifting weight. I'm not saying one's better than the other, just at different sides of the spectrum. But the nervous system, the connection that you have between your brain and your body, the neuromuscular connection is very important for building strength. This is why you can see people who don't look like much and they're really fucking strong. They have a highly efficient neuromuscular system. They tell their body to do something. They have a very clear connection between the brain and that particular muscle or that area of the body, and it fires. It fires rapidly. It fires with a lot of force, a lot of output. That's the nervous system at play. But just to rewind a little bit, fat loss and building strength, they both involve expending high amounts of energy, physical and mental energy. They are energy expensive. They're going to cost you in terms of thought process, the connection between mind, body, neuromuscular, and also physiological. When you perform high intensity activities, your body must use a lot of energy. That sounds pretty self-explanatory. I would think so. But they're energy expensive. This is why you want to steer clear of those simple exercises, the exercises that only lift, allow you to lift a little bit of weight. And I think a lot of it comes down to mindset, just the mentality that you have. When most people go to the gym, they don't want to spend the most. They want to spend the least, the least amount of time, the least amount of effort, the least amount of brain power. And that, my friend, produces the least amount of results. And let's break it down a bit further. Why do people have that mindset? Why do people think that way? In my opinion, it comes down to the value equation. What is the value equation? Well, let's break it down like this. Price versus value. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. They both require something to be given on your end, okay? My hypothesis between or behind people not training hard and applying high amounts of effort and training to high intensities is because they don't get the value that they expect. Expectations are really high, their output is really low, and that gap in the middle is known as disappointment. So you, air quotes, go to the gym, you, air quotes, train hard, and you, air quotes, don't get very much results or progress. So there's this discrepancy. I've paid a big price and I've got very little in return. We can see how that works. And, you know, if we're a smart, logical, you know, well-informed individual, yeah, there is a big discrepancy there. Some of it is perception. Okay, I think I'm training hard. I think I'm being consistent. I think I'm doing the right thing. And the proof is there in the pudding, but it's not to the same level. I applied high amounts of effort and consistency and I'm not being rewarded for it. What the fuck's going on? So 
in your mind, you spend a lot. So for you, the price is quite high, but you don't get the results you feel that you should. So that's value. You've paid a high price, but the return is low value. This dovetails directly into why many people avoid the quote unquote hard exercises. And it's why they stick with the easy ones. Because if you think about it, if you've been going to the gym for a while and you apply a medium amount of effort doing the medium exercises and you're getting a low return, why would you apply more effort? You know, you're applying more effort and more consistency than what you're getting in return. So it doesn't make sense for you necessarily to apply more effort because the returns, they're not in line. Does that make sense? The price is lower when you stick to the easy exercises, but so is the result. And herein lies the problem. When you decrease your effort, when you decrease your output, the price is lower, but the results are lower. However, the discrepancy between the price and the value is a lot closer than when you apply the your version of the hard exercises and you don't get rewarded for it. I hope that kind of makes sense. If the effort is low, if you pick the easy exercises, you get a little bit of return on investment, but you know, you're kind of in line with what you would pay. You had a, you, you put a little bit of money in and you got a little bit back rather than you put what you think is a lot of money and you don't get a lot out. And oftentimes that discrepancy happens due to a number of factors. Maybe you're following a shitty program. You know, maybe you are doing the correct exercises. Maybe they're just in the wrong order. Maybe the exercises themselves are absolutely spot on, but your technique is horseshit. And I'm sorry to say, if you don't know what good technique looks like and feels like, you've got very little chance of actually performing the exercise with proper technique. This is why from time to time, I will ask my students, hey, I want you to give me three tips to a good squat. Or I want you to talk to me, I want you to teach me the swing, the kettlebell swing. Okay, teach me like I'm, I'm a brand new person. And you say, okay, uh, hinge at your hips. Whoa, 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 I don't know. What, what does that mean? What does hinge mean? Oh, okay. And you really dumb it down. And the reason that we dumb it down, it's not because I think you're an idiot at all. The mere fact that you're listening to this podcast shows that you're actually quite intelligent. So bravo to you. And it also illustrates that you want to learn because you don't know what you don't know. But what I am saying is I want every single fucking movement to be broken down to the smallest, tiniest, repeatable process. When you squat, you put your feet here. Here is relative to you based upon your leg length, you know, your mobility, restrictions, any contraindications that you have, and your skill level. Does that make sense? I want you to understand the ins and, out, ins and outs of every exercise so you can maximize its efficacy. This is one of the things that I do really well as a coach. Okay, and it's not, it's not me saying that egotistically, that's me saying that with humility. I never take a session for granted. I understand that 
When somebody works, walks through my doors, that's their first session of the day. And I treat it as such. I could be dead tired. I could have done five, six sessions for the day. It doesn't matter. I have to give that student the best version of myself. That's my responsibility. And I take a lot of pride and I take that on board. I love what I do as a coach, but I also understand that if I don't give them everything I've got, they're not going to get the most out of that training session. And every training session matters. Every single fucking one. But what I do very, very well, it's because I practice it. It's because it's top of mind, is that I clearly articulate what they are doing, why it's important, and what benefits that they can expect by applying more effort and more energy. So if they're doing a goblet squat, for example, if I have a student doing a goblet squat, we don't just haphazardly bend over around the back and fling the kettlebell up. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. I want you to set up in a good quality hinge. So for some students, they use my unlock and chop method. Unlock the knees, use the hands to chop the hips back into a hip hinge, which, mean, which means we bend from the hips, not the back. For other students, we use the, uh, trying to remember the name, uh, the shortstop squat, which is where we place the hands on the knees. And if you do that, whilst keeping your shoulders away from your ears, you will be in a very strong, solid hip hinge position. Two methods to achieve the same principle, which is a nice flat back, and we use the legs to lift. Once the kettle is in position, it's not, okay, now I just relax my upper body. No, 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 no. The kettle is in position, slightly off of the body. The grip is medium firm, depending on how heavy the weight is. You are upright, you are braced, rock solid. From the moment that you set up, the set has begun. It's not a matter of, oh, I'll just get the kettlebell up onto my chest and I'll just rest it on my chest, or ladies will rest it on the shelf, aka the boobs. No, no, no. Ladies, get it off your boobs. You don't use your breasts as a rack or a shelf, okay? But once you are ready to actually address the kettlebell, the set has begun. No sloppy reps, and that starts from your actual setup before you even get the weight from the ground. This is the level of attention to detail that I place. Every single session, every single exercise, every single rep, and if something isn't done right, my students know that I'm going to say their favorite four-letter word, hold. What that means is stop and stand still. Just stop what you're doing. Stop moving because I'm going to adjust something. You may not like it. You may not enjoy it. Standing there with a load or a kettlebell in front of you, if it's a squat, you're like, fuck, I just want to squat, Jesse. Can I move? No, no, no. I'll give you the green light when it's time. But for now, hold, listen to the instructions, make the little modifications. Then when you're in the right position and the correct setup, then you may return back to your squats. Attention to detail. I don't want you to use the least amount of energy. I want you to use the most amount of energy. Again, this feeds back directly into this loop of it's too hard, it's too taxing, where's the easy exercise? How can I do less? How can I expend less energy? How can I use less effort? If you write these words down on a piece of paper, Less energy, less effort, less concentration, less focus. What does that fucking mean? It means it's less fucking effective. 
You want the least effective fucking program or the most effective program? Yeah, that's what I thought. Fucking oath. If you want the results, you do the work. Results or excuses, you can have one. Pick. Right? Yeah. Bit of a tangent there. Uh, and I and I scream and I shout and I get a little bit down those rabbit holes because I care. And it's important to kind of flesh these ideas out. I don't want it to be just something that I kind of mention a little bit, uh, pique your interest, and then I fucking disappear on it. So apologies for getting a little bit long-winded there. I'll get back on task now. Um, so as I mentioned, if you pick those easier exercises, the ones that require less energy, okay, the results that you will get, the benefits and the changes that you see in your body will be less. But the discrepancy is a lot closer together. So... Yes, the price is lower, but the results are lower. But the gap between the two is closer than picking the hard exercises, not doing them properly, not extracting the most out of them. So then you have what you consider a high price, but a low return or a low result. Okay, high price with low value. We want high price and high value. And this is how we do it. Let's do a comparison, okay? You tell me. You tell me, out of these comparisons, which one's the easier and which one's the harder option. Let's take a heavy back squat compared to a seated leg press. Which of those two exercises is harder? A heavy back squat. So this is relative to your ability and your strength level. A back squat, heavy bar loaded on your back, or sitting down and pressing a plate in and out away from the body. Let's take a chin-up versus a seated row. Pulling your entire body weight vertically up overhead versus a seated movement with your feet supported and very minimal requirements for bracing. Again, you decide which of those two is harder. Kettlebell swing versus a lying leg curl. Both work the posterior chain. Hamstrings are one of the main muscle groups. Or one of the prime movements, uh, prime movers, especially in the swing. Kettle swing, floating through the air, moving dynamically versus laying face down, bending your knee and straightening your knee. That's it. And then we take a bench press with a big arch through the back versus a dumbbell chest press laying flat on the bench. So you don't arch the back, you just lay down and you push and pull. You just kind of go through the motions and you press. Which of those is easier, which is harder? Uh, hint, it's the first exercise on each of those examples. Look at them clearly. Think about it formed to the highest standard possible. A heavy back squat, you have axial loading, compression, compressive forces going directly down the spine. You have to brace from the word go before you even unrack that fucking bar. The bar has to be placed on the upper trapezius, so it's on muscle not bone you have to brace the fucking house down you have to tighten your midsection and then there's a lot of coordinating you've got to move simultaneously at the ankles the knees and the hips whilst keeping that bar positioned directly over the midfoot so we don't want that bar shifting forwards or backwards we definitely don't want it to fucking rotate versus you just sit down and you bend and straighten at the knees and the hips okay in terms of complexity, the squat is a lot more demanding. 
Again, neuromuscular, not just muscular system. You know, if you want to be a big bodybuilder, cool. Go and plonk yourself on the 90-degree leg press or on a 45-degree leg press. Load that fucker up and leg press till the cows come home. But if you want a bit more, let's say, functional strength where you're actually trying to move better, become more athletic, build more strength, you know, you should be leaning more towards the squat. Chin up versus a row. We should hopefully understand now that free weights are superior to machines in terms of building strength, athleticism, power, etc., etc. So for you going across to the pin-loaded machine and having your feet support you, you know, versus doing a chin-up where you have zero support except for your hands anchoring you against a fucking barbell so you're suspended in mid-air, you know, it's it's chalk and cheese. Chin up is a lot more difficult than a seed row. This is the this is the reason again that people go from the hard exercise, the chin up to the seated row. It's because they can't do it. And yes, if you can't do it, you do need to do other exercises to strengthen those muscles. I understand that. But if you can do both exercises, you can do chin ups and you can do seated rows. Which one should you do? In my opinion, you do the chin up. You're going to build a shitload more. Relative strength, so strength to weight ratio versus sitting down and pulling on a predetermined pathway that is dictated by a pulley. Make sense? Cannibal swing, exactly the same thing. You tell me in your day-to-day -day life, how many times do you just bend and straighten at the knee? I'm talking, you know, both legs at the same time. How often do you work on Bending and straightening the knee. So I'm standing up right now as I record this podcast. I have a standing desk, and I'm just doing a single leg calf or a single leg leg curl. So standing up tall, I'm bringing my left heel towards my left butt cheek and back down. As I pull my heel up, the hamstring shortens and it contracts. Versus a kettlebell swing. Okay, there's more than one muscle group involved. Okay, I have my grip, I have my lats, I have my abs, I have my glutes, I have my hamstrings. So many more muscles involved versus laying face down, bending and straining at the knee. Now, if you're chasing hamstring hypertrophy, if you just want fucking hamstrings that look like they're on a fucking meat hook, you know, go for it. Go and find a fucking leg curl machine that takes up, you know, four fucking square meters eight square meters, however big these fucking machines are these days, and go for it. But, you know, even for myself, when else do I do a hip hinge that I hold a kettlebell? Aside from swings during my training sessions, never. However, I play sport which demands that I move multi-directionally, forwards, backwards, left and right. So I'm trying to produce a lot more force because I understand the carryover and how it's going to benefit me in my sport. We see the connection there. It's not just the training in the gym. It's not just, you know, what you do in the workout. It can be so much more. It can benefit the rest of what you do for your fucking life. Let's compare the bench press with a big arch where we get the shoulder blades back and down so they are in the most stable position versus a dumbbell chest press. When you're laying flat on your back, your shoulder blades cannot move freely. Because 
the bench impedes their natural function to retract and protract, which means to squeeze together and then wrap around or reach forwards, okay? So in that instance, what's a safer position? Arching of the back, as long as you have a healthy spine that doesn't get irritated by that thoracic extension, arching of the upper back. What's gonna allow you to lift more weight? Bench pressing flat on the bench or with an arch? Hint, it's the arch, okay? So that's, that's our option A versus option B, which is a dumbbell chest press just laying flat on the bench. Uh, not arching the back, uh, you know, you get a soft upper back position, you're just kind of passive there, just resting. You're not using it as a, as a, as a strong base or platform to press off of. It can lead to impingement of the shoulder because your shoulder blade will protract. It will travel forwards, but as it comes down, it's stuck forwards and it's kind of in the way because the bench is stopping your natural movement. Does that make sense? I hope the dots are starting to be connected here. Pick the hard exercise. Yes, it's more demanding, but that's what we're there for. It's to get better, isn't it? It's to get stronger. It's to improve the physical capacity of your body. If you want to get leaner, you don't want to use the least amount of energy. You want to use the most. If you want to get stronger, you don't want one muscle group to do the work. You want as many muscle groups to do the work as possible. Now, I'm not saying arch your back on a military press because it's going to use your lower back muscles. No, no, no. <laughs> don't, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying here. What I'm saying here is use all of the resources you have available to do the exercise as well as possible. So maybe it means, okay, you squeeze the bar tighter. Maybe it means you arch the back a little bit harder, the upper back I am referring to. Maybe it means you brace your abs harder. If you think your abs are tight, chances are you could be tighter. So the first example of exercises are harder when you look at the level of progression, back squat versus leg press, chin up versus seated row, kettlebell swing versus lying leg curl, bench press versus dumbbell chest press, and B, the amount of bracing required. Squat, you have to brace a shit ton. Leg press, yeah, not so much. Chin up, same thing. If you don't brace properly, it's not going to be a vertical pull. You're going to pull in this kind of S shape. You're going to go forwards and backwards and try and use a bit of momentum. Seated row, yeah, there's a little bit. But you've got your feet, again, anchored against the plate or a footrest, basically to make sure that you can pull the weight off the stack and keep it there from start to finish. Kettlebell swing versus lying leg curl. That's not even a discussion. Lying leg curl, you're laying face down. Very little bracing. Most people, when they do their lying leg curls, they, they arch the fuck out of their back as well. So even with an exercise that you are supported, people get fucking wrong. They lay face down and they pull their heel as close to their ass as they can. And the cost, the extra negative of doing that without using strict form is lumbar extension, arching of the low back. If you train in a commercial gym, anytime fitness, jets, snap fitness, anything like that, have a look. You can just about guarantee there'll be a lying leg curl machine, someone laying face down, holding on, gripping onto those handles for dear life, and then trying to pull that pad to their ass cheeks. Just watch the low back. 
you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Bench press, again, if you're not tight, if you are not tight, the bar will crush you. If you start tight and get a little bit soft, your arch will decrease. The upper back activity will go down. And your ability to press that heavy load up will decrease as a result as well. And then as well, as well C, the learning curve to master the movement. You know, let's say I have an initial consultation. Oh, if I put myself back in a commercial gym environment, which I'm not in currently, thank goodness. But if I have somebody who's just coming off the street, uh, hi, my name's Harold. I've never done the gym before. Can you show me a good leg exercise? Sure thing, Harold. Come across here. This is the leg press. Just have a seat in there. Push the plate up, twist the lead, the safeties out, and away you go. You know, he could learn that in all of fucking 10 seconds. And again, this gives the false perception of rapid progress. But rapid progress of what? He still doesn't understand how to move his fucking body. He knows how to bend and straighten his knees. whoop de fucking do What else does that do for him outside of the gym? Is it going to help him run faster, jump higher, change direction? Is it going to help him pedal faster on the bike? Is it going to help him run quicker up a hill? Is it going to help him do obstacle course racing? No. You know, kettlebell swing. This is an exercise that has a somewhat steep learning curve depending on your mentality. A lot of people look at this exercise, they see it done once and they think, oh, I can swing a kettlebell. And then they try it and they're like, Oh, my back's pretty sore after that. So they will either squat the swing, they will lose their shoulder positioning, they will hinge too early so the kettlebell's too low, they won't brace their abs because they don't know how, they won't squeeze their ass because they don't know how. A whole host of things fucking fall apart when you start swinging a medium-heavy kettlebell through the air and you have nothing supporting you except for your feet and the rest of your muscular system. And you might think, oh, Jesse, shouldn't, shouldn't I just learn the easy exercises and then I'll be like well on my way? Yes and no. It's a false dichotomy because it gives the appearance of rapid progress, as I mentioned. But here is my question to you. This is my question to you. Do you only plan on training for eight weeks? Do you only plan on training to get ripped for summer? Do you only plan on training so you can look good at a reunion or a wedding or when you catch up with people you've not seen for a while? Because I don't know about you, but I plan on training forever. I want to be strong, fit, lean, year round, year after fucking year. There's no expiry date for me. There's no, I will start here and I will finish in six weeks. No, no, no. That's not how I operate. And I certainly don't want you to operate like that. I want you to get results, see that tangible progress, and keep it going long after you fucking started. So initially, you may start an exercise and be pretty ordinary at it. Hey, you may even be shit. <laughs> and that's okay. Any person who starts on their fucking weightlifting or strength training journey is going to be shit. 
but you're going to go if you consist if you consistently apply yourself concentrate on what you do and apply a high amount of effort this is what will happen you will go from shit to suck from suck to good and from good to great most people they go from shit to suck fairly quickly and then they go from suck to good and this is where it all starts to get a little bit challenging because now it requires a full fucking commitment it's not just a I'll do the average. I'll do the bare minimum. I'll kind of apply myself. If there's 10 reps, I'll do well for six or seven, and then I'll get lazy for the last couple. Or, you know, coach isn't watching. I've got 15 reps. The first eight, I'll just power through half range of motion. And then when he's watching, I'll turn it on. <laughs> Understand every rep matters. You know, I take this shit fucking so seriously, both from a coaching standpoint, but also on a personal level. When I go into train, I understand that's my 60 minutes to work on improving my physical capacity, my strength, my fitness, how well I move. Because how well you move has a direct correlation with how you feel. Most people feel like shit and it's because they fucking move like shit. If you move well, you'll feel well. But you can't have one before the other. It goes in a specific order. But this is why, this is why most people lean towards the exercises that are simple because they don't require much thinking and you can cheat on them very easily. And these are cheap exercises. You don't have to give a lot to them and you don't get a lot back in return. The other exercises, the energy expensive exercises, the heavy back squat, the kettlebell swing, the bench press, the pull up or chin up, they require huge amounts of muscle activ uh, activity and nervous system involvement. You can't go through them sloppily. You can't do them while you're distracted. You have to be fucking zeroed in and have tunnel vision. That's the only way to extract the most out of those exercises. Oh, a butterfly. No. Okay, I've gone for a heavy back squat. That is my only thing I'm fucking concentrating on. I don't care that I've got I'm catching up with the boys on the weekend. Don't care that I'm, you know, going out for dinner with the missus. I don't care that I'm going to watch the cinemas. Don't care that I'm going on a road trip. Right now, I'm focusing on getting myself fucking tight and squatting that bar with great form. That's the difference. It's for this reason that you can't always squat and deadlift heavy because they take their toll on the body. And it's why they take so long to recover from. They are more demanding and more energy expensive. Doesn't mean they're bad exercises. It actually means they're good exercises. They're great exercises. The point I'm trying to drive home here, guys, is this. To build a ton of strength, you want to recruit high threshold, uh, high threshold motor units so they can contract hard and produce a shit ton of force. Now, the smaller movements, they use smaller muscle groups. They don't require as much amplitude and the load is significantly less. So that's something you have to weigh up. Cheap exercises versus energy expensive exercises. 
the ones that don't require a lot of thinking, and the ones that require all of your thinking. The ones that require a little bit of bracing versus the ones that require all of the fucking bracing that you have. That's what you need to look at. If you want to get leaner and stronger, you must use energy expensive exercises. That's not a suggestion. That's a demand. So to kind of wrap up, guys, ask yourself that question. Do you want to get leaner or stronger? If the answer is yes, you need to stop running away from the hard exercises and start sprinting towards them. The more energy you invest, the greater your returns will be. The more you give, the more you get. What is it exactly that you will get? Greater gains in strength, faster fat loss, and more efficient movement patterns. Simply put, you'll be stronger, more muscular, you'll have less fat on your frame, and you are going to move so much better. As we discussed, the better you move, the better you will feel. So if you value any or all of those things, welcome to the club of picking the hardest exercises there are. No more selecting the easy exercises where you can just check out mentally and go through the motions. You will pick the exercises that require your full attention, your full concentration, and your full focus. That's all I've got to say, guys. Employ energy expensive exercises. They cost the most, but you get the most back. And if you want results, those are the ones you have to do. If you loved the wake up call, found it entertaining, or got some benefit out of listening, I would appreciate you helping me to spread the word. Please share it with a friend or on social media so that you can pay it forward and give someone else the opportunity to improve themselves like you just have. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon for another episode.